0: what that? Everything. Anglo thieves. Gettle's gone?
1: Oh my god, you people have just failed me, failed me utterly.
0: Congratulations, Scotland, we have just gone full break into it. That just explains so much of my childhood to me.
1: For research purposes, it's super important.
2: I hear an awful lot of judgment in your voice. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 23 of Anglophiles, where we're going to be discussing music and how it makes movies and TV shows better. Sometimes so much better that you'll actually put up with the terribleness that is that particular movie Because the music is so awesome And we are joined by Special guest Ian from A Matter of Taste We're super excited You may have noticed that there is a new Opening theme Because I will have edited together By the time that we post this episode And that opening theme Is thanks all due to Ian and he is awesome And we love him Yay! Hey, thank you Ian
3: Welcome. More more than happy to do so. <laughs> uh,
1: it's not a coincidence we have Ian here, because we have decided we need somebody with musical expertise to talk about soundtracks. Well, then what am I doing here?
2: Just fake it. Just fake
1: it.
3: Oh, fake it till you make it. Okay. Exactly. I got this. You're not yeah, you-
1: our senior musical correspondent.
3: All right. Very yeah. professional sounding.
2: Exactly. You can put that on your resume.
3: Awesome. Always you can, could use more
1: stuff on the resume. You can always count on us for the title.
2: Absolutely. Yes. You're not going to get anything else.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, so, where do we want to start? I mean, we, I know that we all did sort of start with all of us kind of going through our iTunes libraries to figure out which composers we had quite a lot of. <clears throat> on Zimmer. Um, <laughs> uh, so, who, who is your favorite film composer?
4: Oh. Oh,
0: man.
2: I'm not going to be so mean and say, you have to pick just one!
0: Because I can't either. So. I'm going to say, let me drag up the list. <laughs> I know what
3: my favorite movie soundtrack is, but I don't necessarily know if I would say that the guy who wrote it is my favorite Soundtrack composer Uh Because like The the original Lord of the Rings trilogy Is my favorite movie soundtrack ever mm-hmm. Um And it's actually one of the big things That got me into writing music And playing music more Was like I got home from the first movie And I just started trying to figure out The themes on the piano and stuff mm-hmm. But when I look at Like the uh, number of soundtracks by, that I have by certain composers. When when it comes to movies, I'm also a really big fan of uh, James Newton Howard.
0: Mm-hmm. <gasps> Still my answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My all time my all time favorite score, and I actually like the movie itself, even though I know it's universally reviled, is James Newton Howard's score to the village. The oh movie.
3: I love that. I love that. I it love too.
0: that movie. It's not Thank universally cute. reviled. Thank you. I really love it as well, but it's just this incredibly lush and romantic score and the in the violins and it I oh, know
3: Yeah, the violin is amazing.
1: So uh here's I'm gonna be doing, I guess, Wikipedia commentary, but James Newton Howard Best known for Pretty Woman, The Prince of Tides, Fugitive, The Village, King Kong, Batman Begins, I Am Legend, Blood Diamond, The Dark Knight. Uh, he also did The Hunger Games, which is like the one off this list that I would say was uh, the one I like. And as well as Snow White and the Huntsman and The Born Legacy. Oh, and Maleficent so a lot to like on this list of movies in terms of their soundtracks and he's yeah finally
2: moved beyond being m night Shyamalan's pet composer yes
1: <laughs> well he like was
0: that, that, that for a while part- i really like yeah. kind of that partnership the work he's done with Shyamalan, even as he as Shyamalan himself jumped more sharks than sea world his output remains really excellent on the, the composing front oh definitely
2: yeah.
4: there,
0: there are some really wonderful moments in the last airbender soundtrack even though that movie is an abomination onto
2: the- uh, that movie is a total abomination but that does that movie and that soundtrack does fall under the list of movies i hated but soundtracks i love <laughs> i love i listen to it all the time
1: i mean the hunger games uh is kind of a, to me is somewhat mediocre i like the movies but as adaptations leave much to be desired but the music was spot-on perfect
3: the music is really awesome also it like, this is, this is just a little chip up I have on my shoulder. Like, I love Hans Zimmer, but it really annoys me when people overlook the fact that James Newton Howard worked on the first two Batman movies with him.
2: Yeah. Yeah, there's oh. a lot of movies that Hans Zimmer has gotten credit for that he was just the producer on. Like, the first Pirates of the Caribbean yeah. soundtrack. You listen to it, and you go, oh, that... So sounds like a Hans Zimmer soundtrack, but he was just the producer, and the actual composer was Klaus Klaus uh, Badelt. I don't
3: know. How yes, to pronounce him.
0: him. Yes, him.
2: Klaus Badelt.
0: Hans Zimmer also has a really bad habit of sort of cannibalizing his own work. You can listen to, because he does so many scores as well. You can sort of see where he is borrowing from himself. But when he brings his a game, he can do some stellar yeah. work. Yeah, I, I think my the... favorites are personally. I love the Gladiator Center. I know he didn't work on that one; his own, but I really love that. And I
3: love the Lion King stuff as well. Oh yeah, the Lion King was the first soundtrack I ever owned, and I love the music, the the instrumental music from that soundtrack as well as the songs, obviously.
2: Yeah, and I think Hans Zimmer, like John Williams, often has a lot of times where you're like, "Oh, this is a Hans Zimmer soundtrack." Yeah. it's it's a feeling that I love. Um, but I think the the Sherlock Holmes soundtrack is, was one of the first ones that I heard from Zimmer that I didn't immediately go, oh, this sounds like Hans Zimmer being Hans Zimmer again. Is there's a lot of less stringy, synthy. I'm not really a music person, so I don't really know what I mean. What I <laughs> am trying to describe, but you know what I mean.
3: Yeah, like I. I haven't actually sat down and listened to the Sherlock Holmes soundtrack but it he definitely uh, drew in a lot of the the uh the like London influence in the music especially with the main theme and I think that that one was nominated for an Oscar.
0: Yeah. I believe uh, it was.
3: Also, I remember sitting there watching the movie in the theater and it, it gets to the like gets to the third act with like everything falling into place and stuff and uh, he did something in the soundtrack that I always wanted to do it in music and I was like he stole my idea even though obviously he couldn't have stolen my idea uh, it was taking the the Big Ben theme and like weaving it into this really minor key mm-hmm. epic sort of thing going on and I was like I wanted to do that <laughs>
0: I Zimmer is also excellent at taking pre-existing material and sort of pushing it to the the most epic lengths. Uh, personal yeah, yeah. favorite exa- I mean, the Lone Ranger is a terrible movie, but when he does the William Tell Overture, it sounds fantastic. Huh. And he also um, did the score for the Simpsons movie, which includes Spider Pig. So he honestly gets a oh, yeah. everything.
4: Nice.
3: My high school ah. choir teacher had the sheet music for Spider Pig, uh, <laughs> the choir version, like printed on, and uh, printed out and. Uh, taped up on the wall.
0: Perfect. Although the the real credit for Simpson's music has to go to Danny Elfman, who did the, 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 the Yeah. Uh, there's mm-hmm. another person who I think works better when he's out of his comfort zone a little bit because Danny Elfman does tend to fall back a little bit on the haunting choral voices because yeah. Tim says, "Put in more, for God's sake, put in more." <laughs> yeah. Oh, Ed, Edward Scissorhands is actually a perfect
3: score. Edward Scissorhands has a fantastic mm-hmm. score.
0: I also really like his work on Milk, because that's an example of where I did not know that it was him, and it just so carefully fit the film and had me sobbing in the cinema. Danny ah. Elfman
2: did the music from Milk.
0: Yep. Dan- oh.
1: Danny Elfman did everything from, you know, Pee-Wee's Big Adventure to *Goodwill Hunting. That's the soundtrack I really like. So...
0: He's also, he also someone that started out just as a rock singer. He's a Noingo Boingo, and I think he was actually asked yep. by Tim Burton to do Pee-Wee's Playhouse, the, the movie, and then he's just sort of become so much bigger since then.
1: Um, I, well, you can hear him sing. he has a, a song off the Wanted soundtrack, Little Things. Uh, I think he actually is the one on the vocals in that. I'm pretty sure.
3: He also did the soundtrack to the... Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies, but I can't for the life of me remember anything memorable about those soundtracks.
2: <laughs> no, I remember I remember sitting in the theater and seeing the credit and going, "Oh, of course. Of course it's Elfman." <laughs> but that is the only memory I have. Didn't he also do the Dick Tracy? Yes, he did. I
4: believe
1: so. Yeah. yeah.
2: He also did Red Dragon soundtrack. Yes. Oh. It all comes back to Hannibal.
1: And she Hannibal <laughs> <So. laughs>
2: right
1: <laughs> a couple of Elfman tracks on him, <laughs> according to Wikipedia.
0: I know he's doing the new Tim Burton movie, which is a sort of Burton going the anti-Burton route. He's making a a biopic of these two artists who were married, who ended up sort of tearing each other apart over the rights to their work. So I'm really interested to see what he does there. He's also doing the Fifty
1: Shades of Grey score. Yeah. Oh. Especially
0: if Wanda must have a new car that she needs to buy or something. He
1: clearly needs the money. The movie Kaylee's talking about is Big Eyes. Yes. Hmm.
0: Which I really want to see. Don't worry,
2: listeners. At least one of us will be seeing the Fifty Shades movie and hating myself for it. <laughs>
0: well, I... I- I'm not going to see it legally, probably Basically, uh, <laughs> my friends keep saying, "You know, you're going to see it. You're going to put money down for that." Like you seriously overestimate.
1: Oh, me. oh my God! I did not know this. That Daniel, did I know this? No, I must have seen his name in the credits all the time. The Simpson, the Simpsons main title theme.
4: Yes, for Daniel. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah, and uh, yes.
3: just random aside: uh, James Newton Howard did the uh,
1: opening music to ER, I believe. Oh. Yeah, Yeah. TV and Film Intersect um, the, I don't know that I have a favorite soundtrack, but the most listened soundtrack, if you go through like, if you went to my iTunes and click the play counts, would have been the one to the 2005 Pride and Prejudice mm. oh. Dario Marianelli um, no, e. uh, It wasn't Dario Marianelli the, the Oh, 2000... he, did, he did Atonement, which is the other yeah. story oh, that
0: uh, the 2005 guess. was the Dude, yeah
1: Jean-Yves Thibodeau, He doesn't have a lot He has um, Pride and Prejudice, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close And it, um, Actually he also did Atonement So he must have uh, Worked with Dario Marinelli on it Or he maybe just was um,
0: well, oops, He excited. may have just
1: performed it So I'll, Actually let me see if I'm Confusing like perf- Oh Dario Marinelli did the score And then Jean-Yves Thibodeau performed it That's what I was confusing it by so Kaylee was right.
0: At I one was just... a great one for loud typists because of the use of the uh, typewriter in it. <laughs> so it's plainly put together. That's another one that makes me cry quite a bit. The elegy for Dunkirk, just proper sobbing to keyboard music there. I used to have a, a playlist of the uh, film music that I would do revision to when I was in university. There were some, there were some misjudged choices on there. You should never, you know, be sobbing over your revision that early into the
2: process. <laughs> I found that Hans Zimmer is really good for writing music for me because I can't have music that has words in it.
4: Um.
2: But Hans Zimmer's kind of repetitive themes, and it, one thing I love that he does on all of his soundtracks is there's usually a twelve to sixteen minute long. Version that incorporates most of the main themes at the end of most of his soundtrack. So, like the full Dark Knight Rises theme. Oh yeah. Is in Rise at the end of the Dark Knight Rises. I've used Rise oh. so much in this sentence <laughs> that it doesn't sound like a word anymore. But it, it goes on for like 16 minutes, and it's just the the main theme expanded and s- played with a little bit. And I've often wished that that I'd have a soundtrack that had a theme that I really liked that did that. And Hans Zimmer always gives that to me. I really yeah. wish Howard Shore would do that with the Misty Mountains theme in oh, the Hobbit movies yeah. because there just aren't any songs on that soundtrack that that carry it on for more than a minute, maybe.
1: Well, there's yeah. like the actual song from the credits, right? But it's a there's
2: fu- the song from this. It's not the same. I like the nah. full throated we're running through the the goblin king's underground kingdom and like the movie this whole thing that whole sequence goes on for a good 5 to 10 minutes mm-hmm. and i just want the theme to keep going yeah
3: the the difficult thing about that theme i remember while like watching it the second time was is the fact that it's such a long theme compared to like the ones he had in lord of the rings so i think he probably had more trouble figuring out how to like work it into the soundtrack and keep it fresh sounding. Mm-hmm. That that was one of the only issues I had with the soundtracks for specifically the soundtrack for the first Hobbit movie is that it was cool hearing it, themes from the Lord of the Rings again, like the Rivendell theme and all that stuff. But some of it did start to feel a little repetitive, like bringing the Hobbit theme back so many times.
2: Yeah. Hey, did you know that this movie is called The Hobbit? We <laughs> thought we'd remind you again. <laughs>
3: And here it, is he in, here it is in a three-beat time signature. Here it is on a solo instrument. Here it is with the battle theme, kind of. <laughs> yeah.
1: When it comes to Hans Zimmer, my favorite is the gladiator, though. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I believe he's only slightly been spoiled by being played on like every car advert in the UK. Since.
4: <laughs> God, same for
0: everything Clint Mansell has ever done in Requiem for a Dream, which is played every time there is a dramatic goal to be scored on football. Here, but you know <laughs> oh, that, that music's from a film about drug addiction, right? You really want to pair that with like David Beckham lining up for a shot?
3: They just uh, they reworked I that. that. David
2: Beckham's abs, abs can be kind of addictive, so. <laughs>
3: They reworked that theme for the Two Towers trailer, I remember. Uh, yeah. They did, like, the sort of epic Lord of the Ringsy version of it.
1: I remember... Um, do you remember, guys, the movie um, K-19, The Widowmaker? I've it's- heard of it, but I've never I've seen it it. it. it was a Hollywood movie about a true story of a Russian nuclear sub. But they used... Um, I think they use like, the gladiator theme for the, the trailer, and it just, like, when something's so well-known for one movie, when you use it for an- another movie's trailer, it's so jarring.
3: Oh, yeah. My yeah. Th- the, the one I immediately think of with that is the first Man of Steel trailer. I was like, it's got uh, Superman flying through the air and stuff, and you hear this choir voice in the background. I'm like... It, is Gandalf dying in the next room?
0: <laughs> yes. Because I'm
3: pretty sure Gandalf <laughs> is dying in the next room. Yes.
0: He was dying of shame over being associated
3: with yeah. Man of Steel. I'm Yeah. Steel. Like, i it, it, it isn't even that, like, out of context, not knowing what it came from, I probably wouldn't have, would have had a problem with it. But just sitting there, I'm like, this just does not feel appropriate for Superman <laughs> flying around. No. Oh. <laughs> I mean, Legolas is, like, staring off into oblivion. Frodo's sobbing. I
1: I, I can't take this seriously. <laughs>
2: And that sums up Man of Steel entirely.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, but did you guys... Uh, well, I'm sure you noticed that the new um, Hobbit trailers use uh, Billy Boyd's song. Yeah, Yeah, that's <laughs>
2: unfair. That is unfair. <laughs> like, I'm
1: sorry, no, that is Faramir's heroic ride. You did not get to. Geez, I, I, I didn't mind
3: it so much. Well, because the text for that is based off a song from the books. And the song in the books isn't used in the same place it is in the movies so I I actually kind of liked them using it there because it felt appropriate it's like drawing on the hobbits culture of having all these songs that they draw from so I didn't mind it too much
1: you could even make up a whole story in your head of how well maybe the hobbits wrote the song after Bil- maybe Bilbo wrote it you know
4: mm-hmm. and
1: all the hobbits sing it based on his experiences so yeah I didn't mind it it's like oh, I, I know you just own it so you figure why pay somebody else money yeah <laughs> <laughs> you should have paid Billy Boyd money for composing it <laughs>
2: I really? Imagine they did
1: hope <laughs> so, so I don't think they have to because they own it they probably don't have to pay him to use it, which made me sad because it, he should get all the money for it
3: yeah. mm-hmm. Credit to where credit is due. If,
2: <laughs> if Billy Boyd has a decent agent and a decent manager and a decent lawyer he he got some for that <laughs> yeah and I would like to think that he does.
0: In terms of uh, scores that keep being used in tra- uh, trailers, the one that I hear quite a lot, and it's usually for kids' movies or Tim Burton-style, "quote unquote" quirky films, Thomas Newman's score to a series of unfortunate events. The main theme <laughs> for that is in so many trailers; it becomes oh, really yeah. glaring once you notice it. It's a great <laughs> score. Yeah.
1: As we were making our list, Ian and I both went, "Let me stick it."
4: Yes. <laughs>
3: Yeah, I can't say that off the top of my head. I can think of other Thomas Newman soundtracks, but I really like the *Lemony Snicket* soundtrack. Wikipedia to the rescue!
0: I think he did *Shawshank Redemption*.
3: Oh yeah, that sounds right. Was
0: that him? I'm looking, this up. I've written it in my list. Yes, oh my he god, he did. He also did the score for the HBO miniseries of *Angels in America*, which has a beautiful opening. Oh.
1: The Green Mile is oh. on this Aaron Brockovich. So yeah, he was very. Uh, Wally.
4: Yes. Oh he did no. Wally.
1: Sp- You know, speaking of music, and I mean, for a movie with barely any dialogue, then, you know, especially in the first one hour of it. Yeah. Yeah. So he would deserve. Did he win an award for Wally? Cause I don't know that he did. Um, think- it was nominated for best original score. Um, nice. yeah.
2: Randy
0: Newman. They're related,
1: aren't they? Possibly. That seems like something are... I should know. <laughs> Book up senior correspondent, that's what we have you here for. <laughs> I was not aware uh, <laughs> that homework that's would be required. Look, it is
2: not our fault that we didn't give you yes. a job <laughs> description yes. before
1: we hired you. <laughs> Cousin. They're cousins. Totally They're cousins. Totally cousins. <laughs> <laughs> <In> conclusion cousins. <laughs>
0: Thomas Newman didn't win for Wally because A.R. Raman won for Slumdog Millionaire, which I can't complain about.
2: Okay, all right. We'll go with
1: that. Um, Oh, another one we haven't talked about yet, but Tyler Bates. Now, I have him on my list of songs because I have the 300 soundtrack. But he also did Watchmen. Oh.
0: I, huh. I I as, as conflicted as I am about Watchmen, I actually generally quite like it and my opinions on Zack Snyder are not to be repeated. But he knows how to put together a real sense of time for that movie. The use of popular music with things like Along Watchtower, which is put together perfectly in that movie and the times they are changing. It's all perfect until you get to the, the My Chemical Romance song at the end, and
1: then it's just
0: like, oh, yeah, oh, God, you had a contract obligation
1: oh, for it? I have an interesting tip about Watchmen, not the movie itself, but speaking of trailers and songs, but do you guys remember the really yes. impactful Watchmen trailer? Yeah. That song, which was The End is the Beginning is the End, was actually off the soundtrack of Batman and Robin. It's
2: Smacking yeah. Pumpkins. God. It's, it's Smacking
1: Pumpkins. Speaking <laughs> of
2: movies that she'll never be spoken of. <laughs>
3: Uh, they used that song for one of the trailers, the other trailers, like I think the commercial spots and stuff used uh, a song mm-hmm. by Muse. I can't yeah. remember what it was. What's I should know the name of this. Um, um, take a bow. Take a bow. Yeah. And that that was that, I really liked their use of that too. Well, Tyler
0: Bates is relevant right now Because he did the Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack Oh, Although, yeah, and I really enjoyed this. He won't be the one people remember I think people are mostly going to remember Chris Pratt's tape collection Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, this is kind of uh, an interesting conversation to have Because there's soundtracks, but then there's also, you know Use of various songs in movies And when, like, you know, the recently there's been a really interesting crop from the very latest, which is Guardians of the Galaxy and how they use those songs to highlight the comedy. Mm-hmm. Mostly because the 80s are kind of inherently funny to us now.
2: <laughs> right, but none of, none of those songs are from the 80s. They were from Peter Quill's mother's childhood and what she grew up with. So there's a lot of 70s, like, hooked on, hooked on a feeling. Hooked on a-, <laughs> hooked on a feeling. Man. <laughs> <laughs> um is from i want to say the late 70s like my my main association with that song is an ad that was on daytime tv when i was a kid for um those compilations of hits from the 70s Played by the original artist, and you're never totally sure. Does that mean that they're actual cuts from the original, or did you get a cover band named the original artist? Ra- Raiden. <laughs> I don't know.
1: Raiden, I have a question. Yeah. Because I'm pretty sure you said hits from the 80s, but it sounded like you said tits from the 80s. <laughs> I was Well, you know, but...
2: sometimes it's hard to tell. <laughs> the 80s were a difficult time <laughs> for everybody. <laughs> I had a mullet. <laughs> <laughs> okay,
1: it wasn't just me that heard that.
2: <laughs> no, sorry.
1: Um it w- w- I think we would go amiss not mentioning um X-Men Days of Future Past uh, yeah. one song in that one scene which I think at this point is no longer a spoiler. Oh yeah. So- <laughs> 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 uh, but it was the one perfect scene from the movie, I think. And, uh, and that would be Quicksilver's little time-stopping, you know. He he kind of, okay, was it me or was it the exact scene of Squirrel on Coffee from Over the Hedge?
3: Oh, jeez, I don't Hedge, know. So... I don't know if I've seen Over the Hedge. Oh, I oh
1: my god, you people have just failed me, failed me utterly. Um but yeah so that's uh, get back to x-men's future past since you guys are failures it the music there being if i could put time in a bottle and i think that scene whatever else we can say about the movie that scene was perfection
3: yeah i really enjoyed that i I, that that's actually another uh composer john ottman i don't know anything else he's done but i really love his main theme for the x-men movies it's one of the few superhero movie themes in, like, the past 10, 15 years that I really enjoy. Like, that I remember, also. Oh. So it was really cool hearing it, at again, at the beginning of the Days of Future Past credits. I, I was really happy about that.
1: So I have an interesting question. I had one reviewer of the film say that basically the entire... The, he basically said this scene wouldn't even be that great if it wasn't for the Pitch Perfect music selection. What do we think? Do we think that the music really made that scene? It definitely played a big part in it. I, yeah. I would say so.
2: I think it definitely deepened it.
1: I'm trying to think. Any other scenes from movies we can think of where you knew the music is what really made it?
0: I'm tempted to say a significant portion of Tarantino's back catalog. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was um, I was
3: thinking about him.
0: Before. I mean, Taylor was a a bit of a a pack rat in his approach to making films. He, he's very open about where he's getting his influences from, which shots are homages to other films, and he does that so much with his music as well. Even when it's by and large anachronistic. Well, my favorite example, the one that sticks out in my mind anyway, is when Shoshana is putting on her makeup in yes. *Glorious Bastards*, and it's put to the theme from *Cat People* by David Bowie. Yeah, is, yeah. That that song in its original context of the Paul Schrader movie, a movie I really love, is also really excellent. I believe that soundtrack's by Giorgio Moroder as well, which is
3: just Yeah, that I really love the soundtrack in Glorious Bastards. Um I just thought you I just you made me think of a scene though, like where for me the music made it. Um Forrest Gump, actually. The scene uh, where uh jenny is like out on the balcony and she steps up on the ledge and it's got freebird the solo from freebird playing in the background mm-hmm. that always gives me chills when i watch it because you wouldn't think about using a song like that in that sort of context but it just fits it so perfectly mm. I,
0: hate <laughs> I hate that movie i, know, too. Totally uh, I hate that movie i don't totally unrelated i hate I, it Worst.
3: That, that's fine.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's the worst, and not only that. There, I saw um, the Hundred Foot Journey the other day, and they had a preview for Forrest Gump in IMAX. Uh,
4: oh. why? Oh, dear I
2: God, don't know. God. I don't know why. I don't know because yeah. Zemekis needs some infusion of cash. I don't know. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, that that's that's a movie that I kind of watch with nostalgia tin glasses. I have to be aware of that. <laughs> um,
1: um, back to Watchmen I mean I do think the opening credits sequence owes a lot to the song but there's actually a very small um, moment somewhere in the middle of the film where I think the first time I think it was Night Owl was visiting Ozymandias' uh, headquarters in the elevator Muzak. Everybody wants to know Music version.
3: I also just really love when uh, uh Berlin drops in with, a uh, 99 red balloons. <laughs> That's another song where I, I can't judge that song
1: objectively. I just, for whatever reason, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I actually have a funny real life moment of appropriate soundtracks. So uh, we were recently on a kind of very long road trip. We were in Boston. Randy and I were together for all we of did. the time we we like
2: two hours. It was ridiculous. <laughs>
1: um, but on the drive back, uh, basically the entire northeastern United States and, and the adjacent region of Canada there was thunderstorms. So it's the middle of the night. Well it's after dark. Thunderstorms were so severe that lightning actually turned off the electrical in the car we were driving. Whoa! Yeah,
2: wow. you didn't tell me that. No,
1: it's really scary, right? Like, shh. Uh, you can't—you can barely see like an inch ahead of the car with all the everybody's got their like flashing lights on, just to like make sure people see them. And my husband puts on the Tron Legacy soundtrack by Don. No. <laughs> Jeez. It was the most perfectly timed. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> wow. Well,
0: there's there's an interesting topic to talk about, which is um, popular musicians who have made the transition to doing film scores. Because there's a huge number of them. Danny Elfman technically kind of. uh, Johnny Greenwood's work with Paul Thomas Anderson, which Academy is Academy Award song.
2: winner Trent Reznor.
3: Oh yeah. Oh, the
0: Social Network score is brilliant.
3: Yeah, yeah, I love the Social Network score. Confession,
0: I think his version of the immigrant song with Karen O is better than the original. Uh-huh. <laughs> The yeah. Girl of the Dragon Tattoo, which is another really good score. He's doing the Gone Girl score as well. I think he's just going to continue working with David Fincher now. I'm okay uh, with that.
3: I, I haven't seen the movie, but I'm pretty sure Arcade Fire did the score to her.
0: Yeah, Or at they least did. Uh,
3: the lead singer did. They did,
0: uh, and Karen was on that one as well. Still haven't seen that movie, but the music is beautiful.
3: Yeah, I haven't seen it yet either. Also, just because it's been on my mind the past few weeks, uh, I've been... I, I just recently completed my Pink Floyd catalog because Pink Floyd's my favorite band, and they actually did a couple of soundtracks back in the '70s for a couple movies that no one will remember. <laughs> they did a soundtrack for a movie called More, and then another one called. Uh, the soundtrack was, and it ended up being called Obscured by Clouds because they like had an issue, a dispute with the uh, the studio or something, but the movie was called, in in English it was The Valley. The French name was La Valley. Yeah,
1: I haven't heard that. Oh, here's a question. Was um, Fatboy Slim just the one song off the Moulin Rouge soundtrack, or did he actually work more on the soundtrack? The it's sound- just
0: the one song. The, one song? the, 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 the score for that's Craig Armstrong, who did the score for Great Gatsby as well. Mm. Ah. I think he's a, a Lerman regular.
1: Right. That makes sense. I haven't seen Great Gatsby yet. How was the music? Like, because I know the music was kind of a special, you know, they really were going for a mood with, with the choices they made. Who's seen it?
2: I, I have... have
0: Oh, Kaylee. Oh, <laughs> no,
1: it's your sister's favorite movie? Or is it a favorite book? It's my
0: sister's favorite book and she actually really liked the movie. I feel like, I don't like to say that people miss the point because I feel like there's a real level of elitism to that, but Lerman kind of missed the point. You just don't <laughs> Yes, there's lots of big parties in Great Gatsby where they're not supposed to be the point of it. But some of the so- songs are really well done. Lana Del already has a song in it called The Young and Beautiful, which is really gorgeous. But when it comes to like the Jay Z and Beyonce stuff, it just doesn't work at all for me. I get uh. what he's going for, and I think that the anachronisms work really well with Moulin Rouge. I got completely jarred here, I thought.
1: Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, anachronisms in film, this is a film I think Raiden and I will defend to our death: A Night's Tale. Oh, yeah. Oh, I have
3: not seen A Night's
2: Tale. Oh, oh man. Man. I know.
3: I know.
1: So, um, the director, Brian Helton did something very specific. Is He said, I don't want a historical drama where the people watch it and are like, oh, look at everything old. Because it wasn't old to the people living at the time. So, he used, I would say modern, but I mean, he, they were 1970s songs. It wasn't the popular music of the year he was making it. It was just kind of modern in the last what, three decades or so yeah. of the movie speaking, huh. right? Three or four decades. So he's ha- ha- had seventy song in there, too. S- and, and the costumes are all specifically stylized to remind ourselves of Medieval garb but weren't actually. Ah. But said In this... I watch this movie now, like, I've, I watch it a couple of times a year, and usually with the commentary on, it was Brayle Henchelund and... Um, uh, Paul Bettany, who do the commentary, and they're very witty. But Brad Haller has this story where he says people will walk up to me in the street and go like, you know, that music didn't exist back then, right? (laughs) God. And he feels like, wow, you think somebody at Sony would come up to me and say like, no, you know, like they hire smart people. (laughs) Why?
0: (laughs) I love the sort of helpful tone of that. It's like, I just wanted to
1: find it out to you if nobody else had, thank you very much. <laughs> I also think uh, the 70s was almost, um, I don't know, I couldn't tell quite from the commentary if he was making a joke or if he was relating a real fact in a joke and tone about how the movie's set in the 1370s. So it was almost like a choice of having, you know, modern 70s music set to the 70s yeah. of time. Bless. Huh? Uh... <laughs> but it's... I thought it was a great movie. Like, you know, you know, it does. Like, it starts with We Will Rock You. Really? Points yes. Because the first, the first, you know, notes of We Will Rock You should clue you in that this is not a serious dissertation on life in medieval Europe.
2: Exactly. <laughs> and when you have, like, a knight's helmet flying into the crowd and people grabbing for it like a football... Or people are clearly chowing down on giant turkey legs which did not exist in Europe at that time. This is the history of the world according to the Renaissance Fairs. That's what this is. And anyone uh, who thinks that A Knight's Tale is not an awesome movie has a ginormous stick up their butt.
3: See, now I'm just wondering, like, what if what if he had taken all those 70s songs and did Renaissance arrangements of them for, like, the lute and choir and stuff? Well,
1: um, the ballroom scene features uh, David Bowie's golden years. And he said Bowie actually allowed them um, to, like, to unravel the first first two chords, I think, to merge it into, like, the lute music so that there's a seamless transition into golden years. That's pretty cool. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, it's it sounds a little bit like what um, John Williams did with the Anakin theme in uh, Phantom Menace, which he I read an interview where people in the in the orchestra came up to him and said, "Dude, I know what you did because he took the Vader theme and he broke it
4: uh. to
2: make the Anakin theme." And he realized that they all knew exactly what he had done because they grew up learning to play the Star Wars themes
4: uh-huh. as
2: children. <laughs> he said <laughs> it, was, it was a weird moment for him.
1: <laughs> that's, that's really interesting. That's pretty cool. Um, I have a kind of up-and-coming name to bring up. Uh-huh. And that is Ramin Jawadi. oh yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, Well, yes. I mean, Pacific Rim. We all feel more epic when we listen to it. Oh, yes.
2: Look, I I can tell you that from where I'm living right now to the bus stop is a 10-minute walk. Unless I'm listening to the Pacific Rim soundtrack, and then it is eight and a half minutes.
1: (laughs) Uh, Also, Game of Thrones, Person of Interest, Prison Break, and Iron Man.
2: And Iron Man.
1: So uh, I'm pretty sure we're going to be expecting some great things from him. Yeah. Um yeah, another name
3: that I uh, I don't know how familiar he is outside the US cuz once again, I didn't do my research. Uh, but uh and I'm probably going to butcher the pronunciation of this name. I apologize, but uh Bruno Coules, the guy who got who did the soundtrack for Coraline. Oh. Yeah, that yeah. soundtrack that soundtrack is in it's sort of similar to uh, the Lemony Snicket soundtrack in the way it sort of experiments with a lot of different instruments and tones. And there are two main themes in the movie that he weaves in really, really, in really cool ways. The other mother has a theme the a lullaby that she hums and it's woven into the soundtrack. And then there's also on the soundtrack, it's called exploration. So I guess you could call it ex- exploration theme, but it's, it's, specifically associated with like the real world stuff like family and familiarity and so the way that that theme comes in is really cool too Mm-hmm.
1: I mean his body of work on Wikipedia is quite large within you know in France so he's yeah. very well known um, in France for all his work on TV and movies yeah. but I, I don't see a name that, that grabs me as a uh, um, something coming out this year. I'm not sure if it's probably. Oh, he's doing an Irish cartoon. Yeah. So I'm not. I'm not sure if he will be well known. But yeah.
3: Hmm.
1: That, yeah. So. I- <clears throat> so so I have a, a a statement to postulate to all of you. See if you agree. Harry Potter theme, the defining theme of our childhoods. <laughs>
0: I think that's something that John Williams tends to be very good at. It's yeah, I'm not going to say it's the theme of my
2: childhood because that movie didn't.
1: That's true. Okay, that okay
2: movie so came out when I was 21.
1: Yeah, no, <laughs> the first one. Well, I I guess I tend to think of the first one as being like deep in the past. But you're right; we were late teens uh, when it first came out. Uh, so, the, oh yeah, 2001. Okay, so fine, not childhood, but.
3: For me, for me, the like that theme and then the Lord of the Rings theme are just forever intertwined because the movies were ca- coming out at the same time and they were just both really strong, prominent, well-defined themes that were really cool.
1: Well, I think it's just there's a specific feeling I would guess we all had, you know, when the new trailer is ready and the trailer goes through and in the end, you know, it's always going to weave into... That one Harry Potter motif. Yeah.
2: Right. Or when the trailer starts in black and you get the the late motif of Harry or uh, the Lord of the Rings and you're like, Oh, I know what this is, and yeah. your whole body just goes tingly. Maybe mm-hmm. that's just me, but yeah. No,
3: no, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh I actually took a class in college where we discussed like <clears throat> It was an aesthetics course, and we talked about everything from writing to music to dance to uh, art and stuff like that. And I remember I actually did a presentation about music, like movie soundtracks, and the the effect that it has on people in context and out of context. How I remember there was this one girl in our class who was was. Uh, I don't. I don't want to say like convinced like oh she's wrong because I don't. I don't think she was necessarily wrong, but like she very strongly associated the uh, uh, the theme that's used in Into the West, the song, mm-hmm. the, like the, the chorus theme from that. There's that moment in Return of the King right when uh, Sam is like and but I can carry you, and then he lifts Frodo up, and you hear the da 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 and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh she was very adamant about the fact that 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 because of that moment, that theme for her is associated, like that theme to her means loyalty. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas for me, like knowing how it's used in uh, like the song into the West and then earlier where where uh, Gandalf's talking to, Pippin about the Grey Havens and the White Shores, and you hear, like, very softly the Into the West theme in there. I associate it with, like, the Grey Havens and sort of this afterlife-type thing. Mm -hmm.
4: Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's
3: one of the interesting things I learned about movie soundtracks in one of the music classes I took in college, is that in a lot of cases, the uh, soundtrack is being composed completely separate from... uh, The Not not necessarily separate, like, I think the composer gets, like, pieces of the movie to watch or something, and they might write something for a particular thing, but a lot of the times it's up to the director where it actually gets used, so Mm -hmm. the composer might have had a particular idea for a theme uh, being associated with, like, this character or something, and then the director, depending on how collaborative they are, they might use it for something completely different. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh Mm-hmm. There's this a really has- interesting example, actually, of a movie. Um, Neil Young's score for the Jim Jarmusch movie *Dead Man* was done entirely improvised. He watched the movie and composed it as he went. Oh wow! Which adds this wonderfully sort of. Well, it's described as an acid western, and it does add a sort of hallucinogenic quality to the film. You can't huh. imagine Hans Zimmer trying to lead an entire orchestra like that, though. So. No. It's a Really funny. <laughs>
1: Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a story uh was it Ridley Scott I think make it made it be mentioned in an interview for Gladiator he said he watched uh, a cut of the movie where he stripped all the dialogue out of it and just watched it with the music. Oh and he said it was uh him together with um Hans Zimmer and he said it almost was like you know the singer was like telling this tale. Mm-hmm. Wow. That'd be cool to watch. Yeah. I almost wish I don't know if any of the DVDs of Blu-ray releases include that, but wouldn't it be cool? That would be really cool.
2: I I have the the super snobby extended has everything version of Gladiator so it's in my storage unit, so I can't check if that's an <laughs> option. <laughs> oh. But try to remind me next month.
1: Okay, so I have a kind of funny story related to that. Uh, few months ago, my husband and I decided to watch uh, the last Chronicle- Pitch Black Chronicles of Riddick movie. Uh. The third one, right? Um, and I don't know if something went wrong. Like, we just bought it on on demand, and I wasn't sure if, like, a cable wasn't plugged in, like, could touch the box, or just something went wrong with the stream, but we watched, like, the first bit of it. Like, there was no sound. Basically, the... Uh, You could hear the music, but the the dialogue sound wasn't coming through, but we didn't know that because so much of the beginning of that movie isn't really people talking. There's a little bit, but most of it's him being like abandoned on the planet and all that and stripped of power. And it wasn't until people showed up and we knew talking was supposed to be happening, we didn't hear it, that we, okay, like rebooted the movie and watched it all over again. But it was actually better. <laughs> <laughs> the dialogue was so particularly bad, but because it was just something so impactful about telling the story with just the music.
3: Yeah,
1: because you didn't need the dialogue to realize what was happening. It was actually really obvious what was happening without it.
3: Yeah, not a and complicated premise. <laughs> that's one of the things I love so much about movie soundtracks in particular is the way that the way the forms of storytelling through music, uh, especially without words. Uh, because you can hint at certain like underlying thinking or like subplots or something with by bringing in a particular theme. Um, I mean, th- this is go- getting into, I-, I don't know if we want to get into like musicals and stuff per se, but like the Sweeney Todd soundtrack has so many different leitmotifs that are woven in and very, Subtle psychological ways So that you don't even always necessarily know Why it, you're thinking about A particular theme or something But it's because the music is suggesting it mm-hmm.
2: Yeah there's a A great moment in um, The Season 6 of Doctor Who Where Um Amy has just given birth to Melody. Spoilers. Um, and she's telling the baby, somebody is going to come rescue us. It's a wonderful man. He waited. And, like, the dialogue is supposed to make you think that she's talking about the doctor. But the music is the motif from the Patient Centurion uh. song. And she's talking about Rory. And, oh. <laughs> I'm just having feels <laughs> because for all that Moffat has fucked that up so much, I loved Amy and Rory together so much, and that that she knows and the music is telling you that it's, it's Rory that she knows is going to come and help them is just like oh. Yes, yeah. All the feels. All the feels. God, Karen, Arthur, Matt, you deserve so much better. So much better. <laughs> we all yeah. deserve so much <laughs> <laughs> We do. Although, the, the rumors that are coming out about Capaldi um, basically telling Moffat to go fuck himself.
3: Well like kind of I've delightful. seen a lot yeah there there's a lot of rumors and they're all awesome but like I the only thing I know for certain is I remember reading an interview where he said like I I, I don't want to have this sort of like flirtatious relationship with Clara mm-hmm. and I think people took that and just ran with it cuz there's stuff on Tumblr like and there's also uh, there was also an article I think in some on some British Comedy site, and I don't think people realized it was a comedy site.
1: <laughs> 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 kind of like when people cite the onion.
3: Oh yes. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, I can't remember if we mentioned Trevor Morris yet. No. Okay, so he's a Canadian composer, and he's a kind of a good lead in to talking about historical TV shows because he did the two doors and the Borges and Vikings mm-hmm. and Pillars of the Earth. Um so and I think The Tudors is probably the most well-known of of this work, and I would say that the main theme is I have that main theme. I love it, and it's very recognizable, and it's really great work. Just kind of the instrumentals that go along with these uh, historical TV shows. A lot of them were mentioned during our Sexy TV History episode. (laughs) But I really love I I have the second soundtrack uh, the, sorry I have the soundtrack to the second season of the Tudors. Mm-hmm. Um, it contains a lot of the the music I like best and it's just oh it's really great. I love some of the best instrumental uh work in my opinion.
2: Yeah. Um
1: and Raiden and I really wanted to talk about kind of also historicals, but moving up, not so much the medieval ones. But you know how we talked about BBC having this new wave of Jane Austen adaptations? They all have really good music. They do. Particularly Sense and Sensibility. Yeah. There are bits of it I rewatch sometimes just to listen to the music behind it. Was... Yeah,
2: I actually got an album off of iTunes of British TV themes because it had the sense sensibility and Emma the Emma the Emma theme is perfect because it's young and it's sassy and a little bit like I don't want to say inept <laughs> but it kind of implies a a very young woman who doesn't quite know how to adult yet. <laughs> <laughs> And that's Emma. And that's why I love her.
1: And, and more recently, Death Comes to Pemberley. Mm-hmm. Which some of our U.S. listeners might not have seen yet, but <clears throat> some of us have. <laughs> <laughs> but that one also had just really beautiful music. And there's uh, there's like real tension. I think people could look at these stories and be like, well, it's kind of not really about anything with too big a conflict. You know, nobody's died. Well, people die and death comes to Pemberley, But, you know, like it's not like a big epic battle or anything of the sort. It's just kind of people living their lives. And I think the music really serves to let people know that it's it's the big deal to the characters involved. It's their entire life's being decided. And, and, I, and I like the way the music helps you you know, get into that mood better or in sense sensibility, you know, I really like the way the music would would celebrate the really spectacular kind of nature views that they shot for someone, you know, the rolling hills and all that. That deserves some good music and it got it. So that was really nice.
0: Here's a question. Is there a movie you really love that has a score you absolutely hate? Huh.
1: I would say that it might actually be hard to love a movie if the music doesn't work.
0: Yeah. I think there I are definitely know, for instances that, yeah. Yeah. where that happens. One I'm thinking of is um, like the final 15 minutes of Lincoln, which is a movie I really like, but it's when John Williams reaches peak John Williams. Uh, the soaring violins <laughs> hit in, and there's someone yep. shaking you by the shoulders going, cry for God damn it! this is a legend. <laughs> I mean, that's not all, entirely his fault. The final 10 minutes of that movie are pretty yeah. bad. They should have ended it before they have the right. Well, the the final ten
2: minutes of that movie. Yeah, the final ten minutes of that movie. John Williams is at peak. John Williams and Spielberg is at peak. Spielberg.
0: Oh yeah, they actually and both have been bathed in like (laughs) the light of the blessed God or something like that. The way he's like like a Renaissance painting. It's like we get it. Just stop (laughs) it. Chainsaw to that Which is a shame, because I actually thought until that when most of Williams' work was actually relatively restrained. Mostly. Mm-hmm.
2: Oh yeah, there's there's John Williams when when you're like, oh, that's, that is a John Williams score all over the place. There are trumpets, I expect to see a dinosaur walking through at any second. Jurassic <laughs> Park is like that, Star Wars is like that, Hook is like that. And then there's John Williams when he's... Thinking outside the John Williams box should be Schindler's list, and I would argue Memoirs of a Geisha fall into that category. And Lincoln, I'd also throw out
0: there, sorry, I would also throw out there his score for Catch Me If You Can, which, if nothing else, is cool. It oh, is yeah. So
2: oh cool. yeah. Oh, yeah. I forgot that he did that one because it does not sound like a John Williams score. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, I, I.
2: Lincoln is mostly outside the John Williams box until he just can't
0: help himself. He's
3: beating down the doors. He's getting in that box. Yeah, I think there's something to be. I think there's something to. No, it's all right. I I apologize for talking over people. Um, I I think there is something to be said about composers that try a little too hard uh, when it comes to themes. Like, and like, there are certain composers where I'm listening to them where I'm like, okay, you're trying to do like a John Williams or Howard Shore thing, but not quite making it. Like. Uh, Harry Gregson Williams is the one that I I always think of when it comes to this. Because, like, I really enjoy the soundtrack to Chronicles of Narnia. Mm -hmm. And the main theme is effective, but it's not the most creative theme he could have come up with.
4: Mm -hmm.
3: (laughs) Um, Like, I really love the lullaby that Tumnus plays on his dual pan flute type thingy. Uh, And there, there are other themes in uh that first narnia movie that i really like but uh like sometimes it it feels like he's trying a little too hard to me
2: uh yeah i I think that the music that's played when lucy finds the wardrobe like gets me where i live and a part of that is that That scene is done so well yeah and that the actress hadn't seen the wardrobe until she pulled the the cover off of it and i just have so many memories of reading that scene in the book for the first time
3: yeah
2: um but the music really gets me and i love the battle theme but i i see what you mean
1: Mm. okay before we move too far away from john williams can we just uh mention the indiana jones theme
2: <laughs> do, 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 do. Of course. Do, 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 do. <laughs> Talk about my yeah. All together now.
0: <laughs> Who I did? He didn't win for that. He didn't. win an Oscar for that because Chad the fire. I won, won. <laughs>
1: This is
0: gonna happen. Okay, you. so
1: <laughs> here's, here's a question. John Williams. Uh, John Williams also did the Superman movie, right? He did the original one, I believe. The original. So, did he just not have it enough in him to make two different thieves? And that's why Dana Jones and Superman could all be helmed in succession? <laughs> I actually didn't know this until oh I watched Oh my god! I will, I will credit the nostalgia critic with this because, like, I didn't know this, and it could be partially because not grown up in North America, but he pointed out that when he was a kid, there was this thing. You would make somebody hum, say, Indiana Jones, and then make them hum Superman, and you can't.
3: <laughs> Too close.
1: Too close.
3: Yeah, there are, there are a few themes like that. I can't remember what it was. There, there was a post that went around Tumblr for a while where, I think it was on Tumblr, where or maybe it was a line from a book. I can't remember. my memory's terrible, <laughs> but uh there was some theme that like when when uh someone was trying to hum it, it ended up like it was supposed to be like a happy theme and it somehow ended up segueing into the Darth Vader theme. <laughs> 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 oh the oh now I remember. Okay, this may just be me because this is something that like this is a connection that my brain made when I was really young and it might just be me. But I have always thought that the uh, the the Darth Vader theme, like the the second section of it or whatever, has always reminded me of a spoonful of sugar from Mary Poppins. Like, if you get to the... Duh, 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 and the medicine goes down.
4: <laughs> and
0: the medicine goes down. Duh, 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 duh. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic.
1: <laughs> Mary Poppins versus Darth Vader. Who would win? Well, they had, like, what? A hundred
3: Mary Poppins fighting Voldemort at the uh, Olympic Games? See <laughs> yes, they, did. they
0: did.
4: That was awesome. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs>
0: Good job, London. Good job. <laughs> not so good job, Glasgow. Please tell me you guys have seen some clips of that. I know this is a segue, but... I saw the Scotty dogs! <laughs> That's all I care about. The best part of it. So you didn't see John Barrowman singing? No.
1: <laughs> oh, John Barrowman.
0: When I said he was going to do the opening ceremony, I meant it as a joke. I didn't think he actually turn <laughs> up. There was a giant it's kilt. They lifted up the death. giant kilt and he came out. I'm not kidding. There
1: has to be a limit to being up for anything. Not, in <laughs> not for Captain Jack. Okay. Um, I feel like with Ian here, we're almost kind of dancing around it, but, I mean, we cannot not talk about Hannibal. Oh, yeah. It was going to come cough eventually. <laughs> we, we just made a promise that it wouldn't all be about Hannibal, but I think sufficiently yeah. established that we have seen other TV shows and movies and yeah. listened to the soundtracks. But the music selection on Hannibal is almost like it's, you know... Yeah, th- not just the music uh
3: composed for the for the show but the classical pieces and baroque pieces and romantic pieces that they pick out for particular scenes is always so incredibly effective like every time there's a hannibal cooking scene and they bring in uh, some like boom bum but a little like classical music it's it always kills me mm. I-
1: there has to be a particular scale, I would say, the soundtrack composer has, and shows like Hannibal have to bring it out in them. The ability to create a score that works with the, you know, pieces that are going to, already written pieces that are going to be used, that they kind of have to blend seamlessly. Yeah. Well, Brian Reitzel, he, his... Yeah. Since, since his soundtrack
3: is so... Uh, his own uh, originally uh, original soundtrack... A lot of it is not necessarily atonal, but it's very atmospheric, not very thematic all the time. It makes it easier to weave in other pieces of music, I think, because you can segue from like these really long, moody chords into uh, a like a solo piano piece from the classical era or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's my I understanding... Think the
2: Master and Commander soundtrack did that really oh, yeah. well. Yeah.
3: Yeah, definitely.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: I also just love the sound of the cello.
4: Hmm. I also just
1: love that movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh-huh. I was gonna ask. See, I don't, I don't know enough about classical music. But my understanding is, with Hannibal, they also select the pieces like pretty much as carefully as they select, say, the painting on the wall. You know. With the- oh yeah, definitely. Um,
3: I actually haven't sat down and looked at uh, w- like all. Of, I, n- I know that Cleo did like a post on her live journal of. I think she did, or maybe it was just like in her recap, she would, yeah, she, when she was writing a recap, she would bring up the particular pieces because like Brian Fuller or Brian White's would be like, Hey, look what we used here. This song is about like death and stuff. So that's why it's associated. Um, but uh, yeah, they, they were very, very particular about the certain uh, pieces that they used and the instrumentation. Like, I love the fact that they, they use the Goldberg variations a lot. But it's almost never the same way. Like you first hear it, when you first hear it in the first episode, it's the traditional like piano version, and then you hear it again after the fight in Fromage, where Hannibal starts off with it on the harpsichord, uh, and you, then and you hear it there as a the harpsichord, and then the like most like I, I, I talked about this on uh, a Matter of Taste, shameless plug. Um, the fact that he used it. Like, and I didn't realize it until someone pointed it out on Tumblr, the way he used it in those last 20 minutes of uh, Mitsumono, the finale of season two. And it's just, the the Goldberg variations slow down like 500 times or something, and it's so powerful.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: That show is also falling in huge musical footsteps, because Howard Shore's score for Silence of the Lambs is one of the classics of the horror genre. Yeah. Just the final 10 minutes where, you know, Clarice is going through Buffalo Bill's house. That is the sort of music you can't listen to on your own because you're always going to be afraid that there's some guy creeping up behind you with <laughs> their goggles on. Yeah. I was actually listening to some scores in preparation for this and I sat down and listened to Johnny Greenwood's score for There Will Be Blood. That is like that that score. It's a beautiful piece of work, but it's just so unusually wrong in the way that it, it's put together.
3: Yeah. I remember watching it was the one that, for
0: the master actually. That's that's uh, really experimental.
3: Yeah, I haven't seen the master, but I remember watching There Will Be Blood and uh, I don't like it, it's it surprised me when I think the soundtrack for There will be Blood There Will Be Blood was nominated for an Oscar, wasn't it?
0: It and wasn't. It was not allowed to be nominated because it had previously it used previously used material and that oh, made it okay. from being nominated. Okay. Which was ridiculous.
3: Because I remember, like, watching that movie, and I don't remember the soundtrack in particular, except for, like, when they had those long shots of, like, the western countryside, and you'd have, like, like a single string instrument or something. It, it, I do remember what, what parts of the soundtrack I do remember were, like, were kind of disturbing. <laughs>
0: oh, yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely dying to hear what he does for Paul Thomas Anderson's new movie, which is Inherent Device, which is set in California during the 70s.
4: Uh, and
0: is apparently totally bonkers. Mm. So I hope everyone in that film is just going all out. <laughs>
3: yeah, I, like, like I said, bef- uh, I think before we started recording, I got the soundtrack to season one of Hannibal this past week, and I listened to it. And it's so interesting hearing everything isolated from the events in the show. Um, it, it did kind of, I did kind of wish that they'd kept. Uh, the the uh pendulum noise for when uh will is like wiping away the crime scene to to figure it out they mm-hmm. they don't really have that on the soundtrack i think they may have it in like one of the tracks but i kind of i'm sitting there listening to it and i'm like and this is where it goes vroom,
4: vroom.
1: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I was, this kind of reminds me of uh a tidbit that nobody else here will know but me but maybe some listeners uh if we have any listeners from russia who remember uh there's a crime drama based on a series of novels the uh amastasia komenska uh tv show and it had really beautiful music soundtracks to it but i remember noticing one particular episode there was kind of a a plot point that had to do with a one character lighting another cigarette so that noise of a lighter being lit and it was w- seamlessly worked into the music and uh-huh. I just thought it was such a neat that 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 flint you know of the of the lighter and it's just such a neat trick sometimes when these kind of noises are worked into the music yeah and they seamlessly work with the scene that you're watching I, I love it when composers do things like that and then and yeah. after that whenever they repeated the theme in that episode I was like listening to it for it same for that noise
3: oh that just reminded me it <laughs> it's but uh yeah it, it, it this isn't the same exact thing that you were talking about it's kind of tangentially re- related but talking about like the way the soundtrack is integrated into what's actually going on in the scene it just made me think of uh the princess bride and uh, it, it's funny because that there are parts of that soundtrack that are really 80s. Because of like the main song that was written for it, but like I always love watching uh, the uh, uh, the final fight between Inigo and Count Rogan. Not just because it's awesome, but because the music is it like I love the way that it does the string stabs like as they're hitting swords and like as as he's doing the whole "Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya" stuff. It's so epic, and I don't use that word lightly. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Someone I'm surprised we haven't mentioned yet, given yeah. what age group we are all in, and someone that's probably a decent part of a lot of our youths is Alan Menken. Oh, I,
1: yeah. I was thinking about him, and I was like, I need to find a way to word uh-huh. him in, <laughs> because <laughs> i have like, it!
0: Put, um, put composers, and I put the movie that I like most, and I've just put here, Alan Menken. Yeah. And then yeah. the entire yeah. Disney mm-hmm. restaurant. I <laughs> believe... Special, like, yeah. to maybe, and, um, what's the other one? Um, Hunchback of Notre Dame
1: which
0: is a terrible movie but his music
1: is brilliant oh the music in disney is almost never let down but i mean aladdin in particular i would say well it's just because i love the prince ali number and i was recently thinking about it uh yeah have you guys heard the
3: the there's that one song that wasn't used in the movie uh it was like one of the last songs that Howard Ashman wrote the lyrics to. It was uh, I can't remember if it was Aladdin singing to his mother or vice versa, but it's a really beautiful song.
1: I think it was his mother singing singing to Aladdin.
3: Yeah, because she was obviously written out of the movie, and so it didn't make sense to have the song there. But it is a really gorgeous song.
1: Um, here, let me see if. Although 14 songs were written for Aladdin, only six have featured in the movie, three by each lyricist. The DVD special edition includes four songs in early animation test and a music video of one, "Proud of Your Boy." Mm-hmm. So it's yes. possibly the one you're talking about, but yeah, that's the one. That I mean, considering the you know statistics here, 14 songs written, six included, there must have been you know a lot, of, mm-hmm. a lot that they cut out. And but yeah, I mean, the music in Disney pretty much almost never lets you down. I want to say. Yeah. It's one thing that one they they know how to do is make the music. So And Alan Menken definitely did some of the... Like, Pocahontas, really as horrible as that movie is in, in context of history. We Sound all practices. think, you know, paint with those sounds of the wind is still epic. I,
3: I've wanted to do, like, a sort of alt-rock cover of uh, uh, Colors of the Wind, because that is a really beautiful song. I think the most beautiful part
0: of that movie is just the final five minutes. The instrumental the that. Gorgeous where it
1: doesn't incorporate colors of the wind into it. I mm. mean, my own personal favorite epic moment from that movie is Savages. Oh yeah. is that right. That good. So and I mean The Little Mermaid has my favorite villain song. Oh yeah. Poor Unfortunate
2: or Souls. Infor- or Le Poissons.
1: Or- <laughs> <laughs> poor Unfortunate Souls. Poor <laughs> yeah, Le Poissons. <laughs> Le
2: Poissons is a great song. <laughs> I, I really I love the mob song From Beauty and the Beast I mean Beauty yeah. and the Beast is my favorite Disney movie Of all time Which is why on, over on Smart Pitches I'm currently reviewing Every single Beauty and the Beast Romance novel I can find This is going <laughs> to wow. take a while This is going to take a while <laughs>
3: <laughs> all right, Now are you going to include stuff That may have been like directly influenced Or are that same style of story Like Phantom of the Opera or
2: uh, Phantom of the Opera. I, I already promised years ago I was going to do Phantom of the Opera. If oh. you have any idea how many Beauty and the Beast inspired novels have her- a hero named Eric and a heroine named Christine, it's no oh, longer wow. clever. Please stop it. <laughs> Please stop it.
1: Huh. Stop. And and really, Beauty and the Beast gave us the masterpiece that is Gaston. Oh, yes. The number of parodies that song has spawned. <laughs> I... I... I'm so happy like
3: it was something that I didn't know I needed it was that uh that Hannibal parody of it with will
1: yeah. <laughs>
4: with
1: I think my I might have actually written a verse to that <laughs> no it was something else, but yeah, it's just so easy yeah
4: yeah so
1: easy oh
3: yeah yeah, yeah. that's that's uh, like it it surprised me years later finding out that the uh like the opening theme from Beauty and the Beast was actually a previously written piece, "The Aquarium" by. Oh, I should know these composers' names. I am a terrible senior music correspondent. I apologize.
2: We're gonna we're gonna slash your pay. You're
1: uh, dang. You're no longer the senior music correspondent. Oh, uh, okay.
2: You're just the music correspondent.
1: <laughs> we See, can, I can live your, with that.
2: Earn your way into our good graces again by the end of the episode.
4: <laughs> uh,
3: there's a section on the wikipedia article called script rewrite and musicalization i don't know if musicalization is a w- word <laughs> it probably is but it's not a very good
1: word so we- which song we're we talking about for is it bell it's, or no it- it's no, the main
3: the theme from the prologue um yeah that Okay, Beauty and the Beast, original motion. Are, picture are you talking
2: software. about aquarium from Carnival of the Animals?
3: Yes. Yeah. Mm.
2: Okay. Yeah. I can yeah. see it.
3: Yeah, it no, I'm I'm pretty sure like he specifically said that he that, that was what he was using and it and like it, it works really well, so uh-huh. I have no problem with it. it just I, I uh it was something that surprised me when I found it out late years later. Uh-huh. Are you
2: a little impressed that I was able to figure that out? Are you a little uh, bit. Impressed? I am. You really should be. <laughs> <laughs> I am
3: so impressed. <laughs> um Yeah, like the, the Wikipedia articles and saying anything about it. Yeah,
1: it is. There's a separate article about the soundtrack to Beauty and the Beast and it specifically says while okay, composing yes. the orchestral story that accompanies the film's prologue, Mencken was inspired by the French suite uh, The Carnival of the Animals by Camille saint saens
3: Oh, uh, okay.
1: Referring to it as his own version of the saint saens composition.
3: Okay. okay. So I'm just terrible at scanning a document.
1: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a segue that should have happened back when we were talking about Watchmen. Oh, <laughs> And that segue would have been from All Along the Watchtower to Bear McCreary and Battlestar Galactica. Oh. oh.
2: Nicely played. Nicely played. <laughs>
1: Delayed segue. Yeah. <laughs> Another TV
3: show that I really want to watch but have not watched yet.
2: Oh, dude. Yeah. I mean, first off, the, the Bear, Bear McCreary is a genius.
3: Yeah, I, I'm familiar with him through The Walking Dead. I really love his soundtrack
1: for The Walking Dead. Yeah, and now to be heard in Outlander, which we shall not talk about because Kaylee might have an aneurysm.
2: Oh, <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about it at some point.
0: <laughs> because I'll break out the tartan, thank you.
2: <laughs> because I think that, that our listeners actually like it when Kaylee has aneurysms. <laughs> it's a theory. <laughs>
1: Possibly, they're <pretty> Scottish <laughs> aneurysms. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Bear McCreary uh, did the music to Battlestar Galactico and he has a version of All Along the Watchtower that was written spe- for the show that is, and performed, I think, by his brother. Um, really, really great. And, that, and that's kind of a space opera, that, atmospheric space opera that needed the right sound. Yeah. The poundy drums is what to call them in the fandom. The poundy
2: drums, but and still having the the sad end of humanity
0: type themes. hmm I know he's doing the, um, McCurry, he's doing the score for the Constantine TV show, which is one uh, point in its favor after it's had so many points taken away. Yeah. yeah. I,
3: we're, we're probably going to be talking about that on our podcast, and I'm concerned, <laughs> to say the least.
0: There will be crossover podcast concern there, believe us. <laughs> yep. Yeah.
3: Um, but yeah, like, I don't know if any of you, uh, or how many of you watch The Walking Dead, but he, don't. he's, it, it's, I really like the way he uses, like, soft atmospheric music in contrast to, like, what you might typically hear from, like, a blockbuster horror movie. Um, particularly, they, they haven't released, this is a major gripe I have, they haven't released an actual, uh, official soundtrack of uh, the bear mccreary music from uh, the walking dead and i don't know why i probably should research that of the many things i should research for this podcast but there's a particular theme uh, that uh like i think people online have called it like the burden of the living or something like that it, it's something like that but it's this really soft key like uh atmospheric synthy thing that has this element of hope to it but also kind of like this is hope in the midst of a zombie wasteland so it's 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 desperate <laughs> um but it's really cool and very uh, ethereal and uh, wait uh you said they haven't they're they- dead right they they've released official soundtracks, but oh, okay. it's mostly just the uh, like the songs that have been used like by certain bands. They actually did release uh, on the first volume of the soundtrack. They released the version of uh, the parting glass <laughs> that uh, Lauren Cohen and uh, Beth's actress is it Emily McKinney or let me look that up real quick in my iTunes. Uh, um,
1: Emily Kinney and Laura, Lauren Cohen
3: Yeah, Lauren Cohen and Emily Kinney Their characters actually sing uh, This really, really cool version Of The Parting Glass on the show And it, it, it's really cool
1: mm-hmm. um, Baron Creary actually also did Apparently did Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yes,
3: yes he did I watched Like five or six episodes Of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs>
2: It gets better after that. It gets yeah.
3: yeah that's about what. That's what I've heard. I've heard <laughs> that. I've heard that. Like part of the issue was they weren't expecting to have to do so many episodes, and then ABC was like, "Hey, do a full twenty-four episode season." And they were like, "Oh crap, we need more stories."
2: <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And they really couldn't be let off the leash until um, Captain Winter
1: America. Soldier. Yeah. 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 Apparently, we had to sit down. It's like you know, Captain America's going to screw with your entire universe. So I'm like, yep, we- we- we'll we'll handle it.
2: <laughs> and they did they did a really good job it was just the the waiting game we had to play before that yeah
3: i get well, the impression that they probably like they knew the storylines of dark world and uh, winter soldier going in and uh, they they were probably working towards those specifically and then when they find out that found out they had to do more episodes it's like well there goes our carefully plotted
1: structure for tying into the movies pretty much <laughs> pretty much and here's an interesting thing, um, Bear. McC- one of Bear McCree's upcoming uh, works isn't just Constantine, but also Black Sails, which is apparently going to be a stars uh, TV show as is a prequel to Treasure Island.
2: Uh-huh. Um, it's that's already aired.
1: Has it?
0: Yeah.
1: But- yeah. Why well, haven't I heard of it? Oh, uh, that was this year. I don't yeah. think
0: it got quite the rating stars we're hoping for. And also, kind of got slightly overshadowed by the fact that NBC are also doing a pirate show, and theirs has John Malkovich in it. Oh
4: yeah. yeah.
0: (laughs) doing peak John Malkovich, from what I hear. Yeah,
2: I mean, I've seen things on Tumblr about it, but I have no idea if what I see on Tumblr is the the shipping head cannons that these particular people want, and is not what actually. I have no idea. It's the John
1: Malkovich one has already been cancelled.
2: It's not really a surprise. Yeah. It wasn't that
0: good.
1: Do we not love pirates anymore? What the hell? Uh. There, I the... really
0: feel like four yeah. Pirates of the Caribbean movies with the fifth one on the way have kind of spoiled pirates for us all. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Pretty Johnny much. Dick. I mean,
2: the, the fun part of Crossbones was John Malkovich being, you know, Malkoviching it up. <laughs> but the rest of it was just sort of there.
4: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
3: uh. Another TV soundtrack that we haven't talked about yet. It, it, you made me think of it when you were talking about Battlestar Galactica was uh, the Firefly soundtrack.
4: Mm-hmm. That's a
3: really gorgeous soundtrack. And so gorgeous that they they actually used uh, some of the tracks in uh, the first StarCraft II game. Uh, really? Yeah. like <laughs> the, That's awesome. It, it's interesting when I think about just the timing of things because their first starcraft game came out before firefly and it had those elements of uh, the space western in it and then firefly came out and it took the space this western thing to an nth degree and then wings of liberty comes out and it's using music from uh, firefly so i'm like there's this w- circular inspiration type thing that i think's going on that's that i find really interesting <laughs>
1: And the, the name here, the composer for that, is uh, Greg Edmondson. Yes, Greg Edmondson, which, they, for whatever
3: reason, uh, they didn't bring him back for Serenity. I think it was because the the tone of Serenity, story-wise, was a bit darker than the TV show. Mm. Uh, and it was also like visually darker because of whatever filter they decided to use for that movie. But yeah... Um, yeah, they brought in someone else for Serenity. David Newman. David Newman.
2: Another um, Newman? <laughs> <laughs> they're, every, uh, they're everywhere! <laughs> brother
1: of Thomas Newman, cousin of Randy you, Newman. And I, they're all related. <laughs> I, I, I started to suspect that the Newmans might be this kind of musical dynasty in Hollywood. Oh, yeah.
0: Man. I feel like they're ruling the orchestral pits of America in the same way the Skarsgårds are running Sweden. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Turn your corner Oh look
1: there's another one So David Newman, the composer who did Serenity According to Wikipedia Is a frequent Danny DeVito collab- Collaborator from starting with Throw Mama from the Train and War of the Roses Matilda oh. Huh He did Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure
0: Which is a great
1: movie
0: mm. <laughs> but He's not quite had the illustrious career That his brother and cousin have had
1: but still notable. Yeah.
0: I'm not putting him down. I wasn't
1: being mean. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> not living up. You are the Ronald Weasley of the Newman family.
4: <laughs>
2: oh,
1: <laughs> oh man. Burn. <laughs> <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs>
2: um.
1: So while we are in this kind of uh, still cinematic. Um, part of our conversations because we do want to talk a little bit about video games. Um, We can take an aside to anime because I really, really wanted to talk about Yoko Kano. Oh, right. Um, I've heard when we were uh, on Twitter asking our listeners, you know, well, which soundtracks do you like? And we got a lot of responses, you know, music is important to all of us, but um I, there was this response that said Yoko Kano was best known for Cowboy Bebop, but I actually I don't know, like I know so much of her anime that I kind of feel like, well, yeah, Cowboy was amazing and her work on it is very notable, but Macros Plus and, and everything else. And Ghost in the Shell standalone complex and everything else she's done. She's best known for everything. <laughs> um, so she is a, a composer who's worked on some of the best anime. Um in the last couple of decades. And I have this theory that where I don't know if she's just really good at picking anime or if her music makes anime really good, because no. I have yet to see a Yoko Kanno scored work that wasn't a great piece that wasn't great on its own as well. But Kabo-Biba was, pro- the reason it's probably stand out as notable is it's a Western. It's a space Western. It's, it, the it was way before Firefly. People put down your <laughs> put it down your um, 1998, uh, um, and it's actually one of the few anime, pretty much the only anime actually that f- that I've seen where I will say watch it, watch the English dub and not the sub, because there's this kind of rule of thumb where don't ever watch the dub. The dubs are horrible.
4: <laughs>
1: but possibly because of this space western setting. The and and actually really excellent voice work. Uh, for once, um, the English dub just works better. It works really well. But the 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 music she did for it, which is really different for some of the uh, more conventional um, anime she's done, really does stand out. as it's, it's great work, and she also picks. Um, great musicians to uh, singers to do say opening themes. Some of them have become her proteges and I think like she's kind of pushed the promoted them within the voice work and unseen community and uh, like Maya, Maya Sakamoto I think owes her career mostly to Yoko Kano. Um, but other other names that uh, for anime fans that might go, ah, that was her Escaflone was her Rosafon, which is a soundtrack I own that I really love. But Probably the one I ranked second under Cabo but would be Macros+. Plus. Macros is a very long-running and kind of epically-spanning series of series. <laughs> like, there are multiple Macros animes. Uh, macros Plus was a miniseries, and it was kind of about music. Like, music was a major theme of it, so it doesn't surprise me that they went to, uh, you know, one of the best names they had to do this. Uh, very orchestral, and it, it was just really great. Uh Kaylee, you mentioned you know her for Wolf's Rain.
0: Yes, which is an anime I haven't actually seen despite the fact that I really want to, just haven't had time, but I've been sent some of the instrumental pieces to listen to while I was doing other things, and they're absolutely gorgeous. Mm -hmm. There's just sort of the combination of it being incredibly intimate and also really epic when it needs to be, which is a lot harder to pull off than some composers give it credit. She also highlights the fact that there aren't as many women composers working in mainstream projects as there are men. They are outnumbered hugely. The ones that come to mind that are women are Rachel Portman is one that comes to my head. And, um, oh, what's her name? Anne Dudley, who did the Filmoni one, which she won an Oscar for that as well. But otherwise, it does tend to be primarily dudes, which is also similar for classical music, where there were very few female, um, female composers or maestros and which is a real shame because you know lack of women
3: anywhere really is a real shame. Yeah, I was really disappointed in myself when I started thinking about like not just soundtracks but like classical music w- preparing for this pod- podcast and I like I can name uh, 10 uh, male composers from like the classical baroque and romantic eras like off, right off the bat but the only female composer I can think of off the top of my head is Clara Schumann and I actually was reading her wikipedia article and even she like she at some point in her life was like oh well it seems like composing isn't really a women's a woman's thing and I was like no 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 you don't don't stop you it's oh my gosh it, it's really disappointing how there's been such a there obviously female composers exist it's just be, whether it's because of the, the times or the structure of the society or whatever they aren't as championed as they should be and like I'm always looking for female composers uh, to add to my library because I don't have enough of them
2: Do you have uh, anything by Hildegard von Bingen?
3: Oh w- Was she the nun who did choral work? Yes Yes, I, I think I might have some of her stuff. I remember her... her
2: That's she, the only one I know.
3: Yeah, like <laughs> she, she came up in uh, one of my music classes because I, I took these music history classes where we basically just listened to eight CDs of tons and tons of music and it was really overwhelming. But I remember her name coming up and uh, yeah, like she was a big influence on a lot of choral music, but you don't hear about her that often because she's not a man, which mm-hmm. is really unfortunate. <laughs> So yeah, I'm yeah. trying to, to uh, explore more avenues when it comes to women in music.
2: Yeah, I mean, I said this on Twitter, but when I first asked the question of, can anyone name a female film composer off the top of your head? That I have a ridiculous number of film soundtracks on mm-hmm. my iPod, and none of them are by women.
1: <laughs> yeah, same here. And the one name that you that did come out of that conversation because Kevin responded was Wendy Carlos, composer for Clockwork Orange, The Shining, and Tron, the original Tron movie. Yeah. yeah. So.
0: Clockwork Orange has there's an iconic soundtrack.
3: I still I'm haven't sure seen that movie. Myself. I've been wanting to see that movie.
1: Make, make, make it a, a matter of taste project.
3: Yeah, it, it probably will be at some point.
0: Um. Power to any woman Who could work with Stanley Kubrick And get out of it alive
4: Well I
0: think
2: I believe that that Wendy Carlos Is actually A trans woman woman.
1: She is a trans woman Yeah
3: Yeah, there was a post that Went around Tumblr a few days ago That I think I reblogged on my Tumblr My personal Tumblr And it it had her sitting in front of Like a, a a console of some sort But yeah she was like One of the pioneers of electronic music uh, She was trans um, And uh, I Can't remember everything from that post Because I only read it once But I'm looking for it now uh, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to find it really quickly But
1: If you find it we'll link it in the show notes Yeah, Yeah <laughs> Um, well, uh, speaking of a matter of taste, it's kind of as an intersection, um, because you had an episode on horror video games recently. Yes. And there's a genre, horror is a genre that need, you know, really needs good atmospheric music. But specifically, we wanted to talk about video game scores.
3: Yes. Uh, and I am so ready for that.
1: <laughs> so when I brought this uh, topic up with my, car, uh, with my husband, he said, will you, will you be willing to play Amnesia? And I was like, no, but Ian's got you.
3: <laughs> yeah, Amnesia has a very subtle, well, not always so subtle, <laughs> but uh, it's got a very atmospheric soundtrack. It, it was funny because I started playing it, and then uh, shortly after that, I got a new synthesizer. And uh, one of the things I discovered looking, like, just researching stuff on YouTube was, like, uh, I'll get into this a little bit more later, Uh, Akira Yamaoka, the composer for the Silent Hill games, he, uh, a lot of what he did was take traditional synth sounds, and he would just drop the octave on it, or slow it down so that it was virtually unrecognizable and had a completely different tone to it. And, like, I played uh, the first section of Amnesia and then I went to my synthesizer and I was just playing around with it and I was just like experimenting with like what if I took this tone and dropped it down to the lowest octave I could and I basically discovered one of the synth tones that they totally use in Amnesia. (laughs) So that was cool.
1: (laughs) Um, Any other horror games that you think do really well specifically with their use of music?
3: I never miss a chance to bring up the Silent Hill games. But, uh, like, specifically, a lot of people have pointed to uh, Akira Yamaoka's music as one of the standouts when it comes to video game soundtracks, Mm -hmm. specifically horror video games, because he uses a combination of, uh, like, sort of 90s-style alt-rock music, uh, some of them with vocals by... uh, um, mary elizabeth McGlynn, which you might be familiar with from who you might be familiar with from anime because she's done a lot of she's done a lot of dubs she's done a lot of directing
4: mm-hmm. um
3: and uh she's got a really cool voice Just, like quick story about her when they approached her about it she looked at the sheet music and she was like this this music is kind of out of my range this is for like a soprano i'm more of an alto and akirimoko is basically like that, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a deeper female voice so that, like, when it gets into the higher range, it has a different quality to it, and it really sets a particular tone for the video games. Um, but besides the rock music that he does for him, or he did for him, he's not working on the series anymore, a lot of his music is—some of it you would might even argue— isn't like is arguable arguable whether you could call it music, especially for the first game where it was just a lot of really dark, low industrial noises and stuff. And uh, Silent Hill Two is one of my favorite soundtracks. Uh, period. Just because it it's able to take the rock elements, and he he's also. I want to say he's a trained pianist because his the piano pieces that he does are really beautiful and have clearly have classical influence in them. But he'll weave these rock pieces and these piano pieces and these uh, moody uh, synth uh, music pieces with uh, really jarring industrial noises like the clanking of a hammer or like a lot of metallic sound- sounding stuff. And it will do it in such a way that it just s- immediately sets you on edge and sets a tone. Like, you'll be walking around uh, the town of Silent Hill and it'll be completely dark, and you'll have, like, uh. Like, there's this one track called. Uh, uh. Crap, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. I am such a terrible.
2: Uh. Oh, stop being self depreciating. <laughs>
3: um. But, uh. Yeah, there's this track off Silent Hill 2 uh, if you want a reference point called Terror in the Depths of the Fog which essentially starts with almost like a, a hip-hop or trip-hop drum beat and it layers over it these like really industrial noises and some, some melodic stuff, but he's really good at creating music that works well as a bed for the situations but he's also really good at creating this music that is kind of thematic, very uh, eerie and uh, I I he's one of my favorite composers obviously <laughs> since I've been rambling about him for so long.
1: <laughs> no that's what you're here for. You're you're upgraded back to senior correspondent again. yes <laughs> um,
3: if you if you want a really good example of some of his uh rock songs cuz I I love his rock songs on the soundtracks. Uh Silent Hill 2 is all instrumental so it doesn't have any vocals but definitely check out promise and the and the song promise reprise which was used as like a main theme in the silent hill movie that was one of, okay crossover between cinematic like movie stuff and video games kiriyama soundtrack is so uh, specific in particular and sets such a specific mood for the video video games that they basically just used tracks from the video game for the first Silent Hill movie. And that was one of the reasons that I loved that first movie so much, uh, was because, like, they did a little remixing, like, they added uh, some orchestral parts. Like, there's this one use of Promise where it brings in a a couple cello tracks, and it's just really, really cool. Um, But, yeah, the whole movie is essentially just repurposing Akiriyamoka's tracks from various games in the series... For the story that's being told in the movie, and it was really effective for me.
4: Hmm.
1: Um. I feel partly cliched bringing this up, but also like there's no way I wouldn't, and that is all the Final Fantasies. Yes. <laughs> and no Boyamatsu. Um, Final Fantasy. 10 has a very specific sound to it and that opening theme is somebody somebody who's a who's a fan of you know rpgs or jrpgs or kind of who plays those video games will immediately know the the theme of final fantasy 10 very easily recognizable kind of just uh the the melodies stays in your head but uh final fantasy i want to say six is another one um that's the one that that was called three when it first came out in the united states but it's actually final fantasy six Uh uh it's it's one of um, the more critically acclaimed of the series. Um, let me see that I'm looking at the right one. Am I look? Oh, I just typed in the wrong number. That's why I'm four. But I want to make sure that Iomatsu did do the the work the work for one. I think he did really all of them up until a certain point. I think uh, uh, around ten or eleven is when he might have uh, departed. But yeah, Nobuo Uematsu also did six, uh, and the game is critically acclaimed, but the music I think for it is uh, specifically remembered. I want to say that's the one with the, uh, yeah, it has an opera scene and a kind of an opera house scene where an entire opera gets performed, or at least a scene from uh, an act from an oh. opera gets performed. So, um, you know, it's it's very very well known for those. Uh, I, I I have like my husband and I, we have the eleventh uh, the the soundtracks for some of them. Eleven was the first um, MMO for final fantasy and i guess the specific requirements on the soundtrack is that unlike a regular video game this one just has so many locations because it's a big world that players have to travel in and every location has a unique sound yeah and it was just so well done um and it's so nostalgic for anybody who played that game that you know just like getting the soundtrack, and you immediately just flash to uh, any specific, you know, event you've had in that place, whether it was with your party or with your link shell, and some of them you just kind of even remember what they look like, it, it was just, uh, oh, it was so, it was really great work. So the, the entire series has some quality work, but I would pick out, the, you know, those three games, 6, 10, and 11, as having some of the more memorable sounds for me. And the Chocobo theme is my phone ringtone, just because it's, like, the best thing ever. It makes me happy. I just love listening to the Chocobo song. Eleven actually did this orchestral, epic orchestral theme for the Chocobo song. I think it was either Eleven or Fourteen, one of the later ones. So we took the basic Chocobo song, which can be, uh, especially from the early games, like kind of very lighthearted and silly. But when you have a full orchestra playing it, give it a little bit of epicness, it just becomes a whole special thing. It's great. I love it. So, Ian, Bioshock. Horror game or not? The first one, I
3: would. Oh, man. (laughs) See, me personally, I would say it's a horror game just because of how much. Horror. How many. How how much. What is the word I want (laughs) to use here? There are a lot of horror elements in the game. And the way. Like, the way that they use the lighting and the music and. Even the plot, to a certain extent, has horror elements to it because, like, the whole thing with the splicers, it's straight out of sci-fi horror. Um,
1: Yeah, see, and you said the key word here, music, because... And, again, it's a game that's set in a very particular time period, this being, what, 1930s? 20s or 30s? um, Well, it has
3: music from the 30s and 40s. Okay, quick trip to the Department of Backstory. The idea is that... Andrew Ryan, he came up with this idea for Rapture back in the 40s after World War II. And uh, so that's around the time when he decided, oh, I'm going to grab all these artists and scholars and uh, scientists and stuff and bring them to this city underwater where we can just do our own thing. And so that's the reason why they have uh, the music from like the 30s and 40s in there is because that was the music that they brought with them down, uh, into Rapture. The game itself takes place in, I want to say 1960. Uh, I believe it's like a, like New Year's nineteen six, or actually, or maybe New Year's nineteen sixty was just when like the whole revolt happened with the Splicers. And I know that the, the first Bioshock games take the first Bioshock game takes place in the mid sixties, like I want to say nineteen sixty four or something like that. Um, but yeah, the music is definitely from the, like early swing era jazz and stuff
1: hmm So it, a, it creates a very specific atmosphere and setting. Yes. It's. I think it's definitely a big big part of it.
3: Yeah, there's something about walking through a broken toy store and hearing how much is that doggy in the window while you're wondering if a big daddy's going to come out and drill you to death. Uh, <laughs> that creates a very particular effect.
1: <laughs> Although to me, the real creepiness was um, what the kind of just generic... Mook NPCs that you have to kill periodically. One of oh. their sounds was singing "Jesus Loves Me, At This I Know." Oh yeah, yeah, that,
3: and that's that's like a a trope specific to the horror genre. Like, how many horror movie trailers have you seen where it starts off or ends with a little girl singing like? ring around the rose some sort of kid lullaby or kid song or something and it's just like this is creepy
1: (laughs) if if there's a child singing you know it's horror
3: oh yeah this (laughs)
1: is very true oh you know what else is atmospheric but not as terrifying mario kart (laughs) <laughs> and we did an experiment recently, my my husband and our friends. We were driving. My husband was the one driving. Friends in the car. One of them pulled out his DS to play Mario Kart. We plugged in the Mario Kart to the car's sound system.
3: Oh, jeez.
1: I was like, well, are you tempted to press on the gas when you hear the sound? He's like, yep, it's really tempted to just start racing down the road. <laughs> he controlled himself. We did not get into any accidents, <laughs> But it's very funny driving when Mario Kart is playing.
3: Well, that's another thing. Like I, I can't remember if this was just a rumor or, or true, but there was that whole thing about like uh, how people's stress levels spike when they hear the Tetris music, <laughs> or like mm-hmm. when they hear the Tetris music, they want to uh, they want to solve puzzles or something, or they start looking at everything as puzzles,
1: something like that. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if it's true for me, because it's just a generic Russian folk song
2: Yeah, that's folk song that,
1: I, that I know, like, <laughs> like outside. like Korobushka. Yeah. I, I, know that, so. I know
2: how to dance to that properly.
1: You don't that's know how to pronounce it I want to properly, I it. but that works.
2: Oh, whatever. We pronounce Korobushka, so
1: fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Last time I
2: tried to pronounce Russian stuff properly, you yelled at me, so I can't win.
1: You yell at me all the time.
2: Whatever,
3: we won the Cold War. Carry on. Yeah, like, with video games, soundtracks from those early games specifically, like Mario and uh, Tetris and uh, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog, stuff like that, like, people have, like, Pavlovian responses to hearing that stuff out of context. It's really interesting.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I could say it. (sighs) I mean, that's what.
0: That's... I literally have, um, I have one contribution to make to the uh, video game music soundtrack so, um, discussion, and that's Peter McConnell, who did the score for Psychonauts and Grim Fandango. Oh uh, hmm. Basically, anything know. that's got Sorry. Tim Schafer's name attached to it is just, you know, shut up and take my money anyway.
4: <laughs>
0: but the Grim Fandango score is great because it is what happens if you make a film noir and you set it in the afterlife, which is styled on the de los Muertos. And it just perfectly captures
3: that. I really want to play that game.
0: Well, it's getting a HD remake,
1: so
0: people That's will
1: be sweet. able to see it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, anything we have missed?
3: Um, I mean, when, when it comes to video game soundtracks, another like crossover thing. After Akira Yamaoka left the Silent Hill series, they got Daniel Licht, the composer from uh, Dexter... Uh, yeah. to do the soundtrack for Silent Hill Downpour, another game. Uh, also, like, I, I'm not a big uh, fan of the Halo series. Like, I, I'll play it when I'm at a friend's house and they want to play it, but I've never really been big on first-person shooters in general. But Michael Salvatore's music for the Halo games is pretty awesome. Uh, especially what he did for... I Yeah, I think he did Halo Reach. I'll check that real quick to make sure. Uh... That had a pretty cool soundtrack to it. And I think it was the last one that he actually did. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, in recent years, video game soundtracks have been getting a lot more well-produced. And uh, I'm all for it.
1: <laughs> oh, well, he- here's a weird intersection of music and video gaming. Uh There's a a, a basically an RPG, a JRPG called Eternal Sonata, and in it you play Chopin, who is like dying but goes into this weird dream, and you're basically in your regular JRPG, but Frederick Chopin is one of your player characters, and his music is heavily used in the game because of it. (laughs) Uh. So if you're a a fan of video games and Chopin's music. There's a game basically made just for you.
3: Yeah, I think a friend of mine got that game and he said it was really goofy. <laughs> but I think he said it was good. Um, also, just a quick correction uh, the Halo soundtracks were done by Martin O'Donnell and Michael Salvatore. Uh, I would be remiss if not to mention both members of the team. But yeah, more cool video game soundtracks. They're coming out. <laughs>
2: Well, I feel like We probably haven't covered everything
1: Probably not yeah.
2: Probably not But we have not gone on for quite a while
1: Okay, <laughs> I'll just say this I know if there are any other anime fans They're probably slick screaming But you didn't talk about Neo Genesis Evangelion I know, I know Important music, we, we are aware <laughs> Don't yell at me <laughs> But yes, there are a lot we probably didn't cover But that's because, you know, music is... Very subjective, but I think it's the only consensus is yes, very important to any visual genre. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah I'm just, I'm just going to do a quick run of my list, just quickly shout out the ones I didn't mention Alan Silvestri for Back to the Future and the Avengers, Alexandra Despla for the Grand Budapest Hotel, Wojciech Kular from Bram Stoker's Dracula. I know I'm pronouncing that wrong, I'm really sorry. Howard *Sound for Love, Clint Mansell and the *Chronos Quartet for The Fountain, Cliff Martinez for Drive. Functor Legacy, Chemical Brothers for Hannah, Air for the Virgin Suicide, and Nick Cave and Warren Ellis for The Assassination of Jesse James by the Kellett Robert Ford.
2: Alright. Um, I did not mention Patrick Doyle oh,
0: from yeah.
2: everything Kenneth Branagh has done ever. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he did the music for Thor, and I really liked the music from Thor. And Again, falling under the category of movies I detest with music that I love. Steve Jablonski, who did Transformers. Uh, I really like the music from Transformers. I hated absolutely everything else about that movie because (laughs) Optimus Prime is a flat-nosed truck. And it all goes downhill from there.
0: But the music's great. (laughs) Final shout-out for a score I loved in a film I detested. Abel Kurzyowski's score for W.E., which is the movie Madonna made about Wallace Simpson. <laughs> it is abhorrent on every single level, but that score is very pretty. Wow.
4: Because
0: if you're going to glorify racist Nazi lovers, you're going to do it with a, a very, you know, very whimsical soundtrack. There you go.
4: Huh.
3: Um... Ones that I didn't mention, uh, you, you brought up Alan Silvestri. I I love his soundtrack for Van Helsing. I don't care how goofy that movie is. I really like the music from it.
0: We have talked um, about our love of Van Helsing before. There is no shame in mentioning <laughs> our nope. love of that movie. No Okay, awesome. Nope,
3: none. Um,
0: none at
3: all. Also, uh, Javier Navarrete's soundtrack to Pan's Labyrinth is really gorgeous. Oh,
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah oh uh, i have one final shout out and that is one of my favorite uh tv show themes is actually a a british uh like crime murder mystery tv show mitzvah murders and jim parker composed the opening theme on a theremin uh, Ooh. it's very we love our
0: theremins here don't
1: we <laughs> oh yes yeah. can't get enough
3: of the theremin um i hesitate to bring this name up because it's Possibly a whole discussion unto itself, but how do we feel about James Horner?
1: Um, um, I, I need works. I don't know names. Titanic.
3: James Horner, he yeah, oh. he did Titanic. He did Braveheart. He a did uh, Avatar. Mind. He did he did, did a Beautiful Mind. Basically, he's
2: James Cameron's pet.
1: Oh,
3: yeah. I I tend to like him when he's not doing James Cameron stuff, actually.
1: I'll say this. He did Braveheart, and I was going to bring up that theme. So we feel okay?
4: Yeah. Like,
3: like, uh, honestly, it it was interesting looking him up uh, in preparation for this podcast, because we we just talked about aliens on A Matter of Taste, and uh, apparently, like he was he went through hell to get the soundtrack for uh aliens done and it made him like swear off james cameron uh, basically until titanic <laughs> um but yeah like i tend to like his stuff more when he's not working with james cameron because for whatever reason whenever i'm wa- like when i watched titanic and when i watched avatar number one the main themes from titanic and avatar it feels like he started writing i see you from avatar and was like oh crap this is going to be my heart will go on again i i need to make a left turn to something completely different <laughs> um but uh yeah with with some of james horners soundtracks it, it again it feels like he's trying a little too hard to be really thematic sometimes for me, oh, yeah. but that might just be definitely. personal preference.
2: No, he, he definitely is. Like, Titanic has three themes, and every single song on that soundtrack is some variation on either the sad love theme or the sad everybody's dead theme or the Titanic is sailing off into the sunset theme. <laughs>
0: That's it. I and
2: understand
0: supposed to help you, you know, em- evoke emotion, but I really feel like the key corner is the case where someone is just sort of like pulling at your nose hairs to get you to cry. Uh,
4: yeah. Yeah.
0: So it's specifically, I mean, it's engineered within an inch of its life, which in itself is admirable, but I could go my entire life without never hearing the Titanic story. <laughs> yeah. I do like the work he did on The New World, which is the Terrence Malick film. So. Mm-hmm. Like is- the, just get away from Cameron.
1: Yeah. Isn't <laughs> Apollo 13 that that the one with like the scene with the astronauts walking in the music?
2: Uh, well every space movie ever since The Right Stuff has had that scene with the astronauts
1: walking. I'm thinking the right stuff is original, but apparently he did a polo thirteen and I yeah. remember that that, yeah and like for all the hell
3: he must have gone through to make it, I actually really like the alien soundtrack. So mm-hmm. yeah,
2: yeah, I think I think the big problem with the Horner and the the we have a limited handful of themes that we work on is a Cameron problem. Yeah. Because that that's that's Cameron. (laughs) I have a point to this movie. I'm gonna hammer your head with it five or six times every hour. And if you don't get it, I'll have somebody at the end of the movie state it explicitly.
1: Oh, oh, but well speaking of Cameron, but Terminator Two.
3: Yes, well, that was also based off a theme created for the first movie, which I don't
1: believe James Horner
3: did the first movie.
1: I don't know who did it, but, I mean, that's one that, when people hear it, they know it. Oh, yeah, definitely. Brad oh. Feidel, I think he did both. Yes. First yeah.
3: yeah,
1: and it was much synthier in the first it's movie.
2: It's
3: so synthy. <laughs> so 80s synth.
2: Speaking of other soundtracks that are so synthy, the Ladyhawk soundtrack... Have any of you guys seen Lady Hawk?
4: No.
2: You need to see Lady Hawk. Oh, yeah. It's an amazing movie. But apparently, if I'm remembering this correctly, um, the original score was you know classical strings, and the director is like, "No, I want synth. I want all the synth, all of it, because it was the mid '80s, and we're all we all have synth synthesizers in our pockets."
1: Music by uh, Andrew Powell.
2: Holy shit. <laughs> but the movie's amazing you should all see it. Kaylee, I think you'll love it.
1: By day, she's a hog. By night, he's a wolf. I think that's yes. the tagline. <laughs> oh, yes.
2: wait. Yes. Oh, my gosh. How great. Rucker Hauer
1: Lady and hog?
3: Michelle
2: Pfeiffer.
1: And Matthew I, Broderick. <laughs> and Matthew
3: that a,
2: Broderick. <laughs> that was a
3: movie I saw when I was really young and I've been wanting to go back and watch it again. Oh, it's just... Go
2: back and watch it. It's oh, so man. good. So good. Kaylee, this movie is Kaylee Bait.
3: I mean, it's got a werewolf in it. How could I not watch it?
0: <laughs> I'm sure you have sold this movie to me at least three or four times on this podcast alone. So I, really I think so, it. and
2: I can't believe you haven't listened to me.
0: <laughs> I've been busy,
2: okay. <laughs>
1: uh, before we go, speaking of Ruger Hauer, uh, the Blade Runner. Oh, yes, Blade Runner. Music by, professionally known as Vangelis, but Evangelis Papathanasio. Greek composer.
0: He's the, he's the guy oh. that did Chariots of Fire.
1: And he won the head Oscar.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, motion <I'm washing laughs> running! <laughs> <laughs> I also want to just quickly shout out for the Sofia Coppola's Marie Antoinette, which use, which does the Tarantino thing of using modern music to tell a period story, and it oh, yeah. features a scene where they go to a, they have a ball, and it's put to Susie and the Banshees. Which is brilliant, awesome. and the actual composer is our friend who
4: does the
3: Hannibal score. So, oh, Brian
0: Wright. We can bring everything back around to Hannibal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It is yeah. cool.
3: excellent. I actually come full circle.
0: Re-
4: <laughs> yeah,
3: I, I really liked his soundtrack to Thirty Days a Night as well. Um. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much for coming on, Ian. Thank you so much for having me. It's it's been a lot of fun. <laughs>
2: So, you can find Ian at uh, Matter of Taste Podcast in various permutations.
3: Yes. Uh, <laughs> Tumblr, blogspot,
2: Twitter. I very impressed Twitter. with how you narrowed the whole thing down.
3: Yes. <laughs> I don't know why it took me so long to figure out, oh, I could just say, hey, we're a Matter of Taste Podcast on all these places, and then AMOT Podcast on Twitter. I was, like, so diligent to list out every URL, and I'm like... Why? <laughs> Why? <laughs>
2: um, do you want people to be able to follow you personally? Oh uh, yeah,
3: um, my uh, my personal t- Tumblr is makingnewmistakes.tumblr.com. Also, uh, going back to something from before, I found the Wendy Carlos posts I have on my personal Tumblr, and uh, one of them I reblogged from Kevin of the Made a Fail family, and the other one I reblogged from Dana so
2: <laughs> excellent mom and um, dad <laughs>
3: yeah uh, yeah making new mistakes is where i am on tumblr uh i post music for, there from time to time if you're interested in getting music from me that's a good way to contact me so yeah
1: and worst comes to worst you can always get in touch with us and we will directly to- direct you to ian because everybody should have lovely music like we do now
2: Yay. <laughs> so excited so excited all right All right, you can follow us at Anglifies pretty much everywhere except Pinterest. We don't pin. Um, And we will be back at you next month with a topic as of yet to be determined. (laughs) Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. You have been listening to Anglifies, a made of fail production.